How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 184 of X-Lapsed, which, uh, well, if you're following this show in real time, might be the penultimate episode of X-Lapsed for a little while. And uh, maybe I should start with that little bit of housekeeping here. Um, as of the episode that follows this one, well, I'm going to be officially, unofficially, up to date. Um, I could play it off as though uh, I'm got this like very meticulous plan in place here uh, where had my DCBS order arrived right around now we'd be fine to go into the April books now, this is uh, the beginning of May so I'm waiting for the April books of course and uh, the books we're going to be covering over the next two episodes are the very very end of March but uh, just a few days ago late last week I received an email from DCBS saying that uh, due to something that Diamond did there's going to be a little bit of a delay in the shipment. And so, uh, looks like uh, we might go a few days without a book to talk about. So, um, I have something else in mind. It's nothing that's going to uh, blow anybody's minds or anything, but I think it'll be a little fun diversion. Uh, I'm getting real close to having a new episode of a podcast out every day for a year, and uh, I don't want... The lack of a book to be a reason for us to uh, break that streak here. I, I I don't know what the goal is here. I don't know why I'm gunning for a year. I just think it would be something fun to do or something I can say I did. But with all that out of the way, let's get into our potentially penultimate book here. And actually, the final time we're going to be talking about King of King in Black, hopefully. This is Savage Avengers number 19. Had a May 2021 cover date. Stories called Chapter 19, The Son of Ymir. Written by Jerry Duggan, pencils by Kev Walker, ink Scott Hanna, colors Juan Tartaglia, letters VCs Travis Lanham, edits Byro Smith, Brevoort Sobolski, cover price $4. This one went on sale March 24th of 2021. Now we open with a full-page spread of catch-up and cred. And, well, you know, we already did, you know, the catch-up thing last time out. So uh, I guess you can consider this my own personal editor's note to check out episode 183 of X-Labs for all those details. Now, one thing worth noting here is that this story that we're about to look at is said to take place prior to King in Black issue number four, which tells me we're probably maybe ought not be expecting any sort of resolution in this issue. And... Uh, well, not to uh, put the cart before the horse, uh, we're not really going to be getting a resolution. And, well, I've actually flipped through King in Black number four since it had several of our mutant pals on the cover, and, I mean, no fault of the story, I just couldn't make heads or tails of it. You know, it is a part four, and uh, 
probably shouldn't be quite as accessible as a part one, but uh, I figured I wouldn't be able to give it proper coverage here on the show without the full context, and, uh, well, I'm really not interested in getting that full context. I, I care very, very little about the King in Black story. Now, anyway, we pick up right where we left off. Bobby Drake has been shattered by Conan's symbiote sword, but he pulls himself back together one panel in. Now, Bobby talks about how he used to present himself as a snowman because he didn't want to scare people, which, well, it's not entirely true, is it? He uh, presented himself as a snowman because he was unable to use his powers well enough to do the whole shiny ice thing yet. Now, Nightflyer, who apparently didn't skidoo at the end of last issue, suggests that, uh, yeah, this is probably their cue to leave. Bishop pops back through the Krakoan gateway. I hadn't realized he left. But he shows back up and he blasts the duffels full of money that NF was attempting to carry out. Now, this, of course, causes the money to go to bits. Bishop explains that working with Deadpool isn't a good idea for anyone who'd like to remain alive. Off to the side, Conan and Iceman resume their battle, which doesn't last very long at all. Bobby just blasts the bejesus out of him with a torrent of slush. Off to, uh, well, another side... Callisto is sitting on Deadpool asking if he's ready to behave, something it seems that nobody's ever bothered to ask Wade to do before. Bishop then tells Nightflyer that, you know what, if you want the money, we're not going to let you just take it, uh, but maybe we'll give you the opportunity to earn it. Now, Nightflyer is a bit bamboozled, wondering aloud if Bishop is attempting to hire them, and, uh, well, he is. And you see, Bishop explains the current situation. Storm and Cyclops have been nullified, and at the moment, they'll basically take any help they can get. Deadpool then asks who's leading the X-Men these days if Slim and Aurora are off the table. He even goes as far as to joke that maybe it's Artie or Leech. Bishop reminds him that there are no X-Men right now. No, actually, he just tells Wade that he, Bishop, that is, is leading the X-Men right now. Alrighty then. Uh, Bishop explains that they're shorthanded and they're willing to pay for Conan, Deadpool, and Nightflyer's services in assisting with this smash and grab. I feel like smash and grab is like the go-to for all these missions, uh, because this has got to be like the fifth or sixth one we're talking about on the show. Now, Nightflyer and Deadpool are immediately on board, but worry that Conan won't want to play nice. And of course, no sooner do they say that than Conan says, yeah, I'm in, I'm good. All he wants in exchange is to have an audience with Logan once the dust settles. Nightflyer and Deadpool, they're just, they just want the duffel bags full of cash. Kalisto kind of shrugs because money literally grows on trees on Krakoa, so it's, uh, it's only valuable to uh, folks who aren't on Krakoa. We jump ahead to the smash and grab. Now, Nightflyer pulls a distraction, drawing the attention of a gaggle of goop dragons. And holy cow, check this out. We actually get an editor's note directing us over to King and Black Marauders for more details. What? Ah, oh, Tom Brevoort, I take back everything I ever said about you. Though I, I still don't like your, your silly hat gimmick. Uh, Deadpool and Conan head into the Empire State Building to approach from below. Bishop, Iceman, and Kalisto take the high road on an ice slide. And they run into... The Cyclops Who Laughs. And I, I mean, I've been making this sorry joke ever since we first saw the nullified Cyclops, but uh, come on. I mean, this has got to be inspired by the Batman who laughs, right? It's just too similar not to be. Anyway, Cyclops blasts the Marauders, which gives Conan the opportunity to whack him in the back of the head with his symbiote sword. 
Callisto then asks the million-dollar question, being, hey, where's Storm? Just then, a black storm cloud appears right overhead, and Callisto realizes what's about to happen, then notices that Deadpool is carrying a pair of uh, swords that are, you know, made of metal. She kicks him away right before he is bombarded with lightning. So I gotta ask, uh, Deadpool is just basically Wily e. Coyote now, huh? Oh well. Um, now Storm shows herself, and Null speaks through her. Now Null considers her his most powerful avatar yet. Bishop shouts for her to fight Null's influence off, which takes his eyes off a Cyclops who delivers a whopper of a blast at Bishop's feet. So Bishop dares the Cyclops who laughs to blast him directly, but... Null's ruby-quartzed vessel knows what Bishop would do with all that energy, you know, Bishop's powers to redirect it. So instead, he just optic blasts Callisto and Deadpool off the edge of the building. Conan uses his symbiote sword to snag Callisto before she falls all that far. Deadpool, however, isn't so lucky. So yeah, Deadpool totally is Wily e. Coyote right now. He uh, goes all the way to the ground and uh, lands with a splat. Now, Callisto suggests that Storm and Psyche are too far gone. There's no way to free them of Null's influence short of actually killing them. Bishop decides to scrub the mission and the heroes fall back. But how in all hells are they going to get off the top of this building? Well, if you're thinking, why does Nice Man just make an ice slide? That, that just tells me that you've been reading, you know, X-Men comics for a while. This is, for whatever reason, treated as though it's a big reveal. I'm not sure why, considering that Iceman used an ice slide to get up there in the first place. I'm guessing this is just an excuse for Conan to suggest that Iceman isn't actually man nor mutant, but a frost giant. We know he's not, but okay. And you know, actually, maybe I shouldn't speak too soon. Maybe, uh, maybe Marvel's planning on giving Bobby his own Marvel Studios movie or TV show, and they gotta get the mutant stink off of him? So maybe that is the case, who knows. Conan then also suggests that Iceman has been living a lie, to which Bobby says, you know, that's not the first time somebody told me that, which is kind of a cute callback. Anyway, the heroes escape, and the Cyclops and Storm, who laugh, celebrate their apparent victory. On the ground, a Nightflyer is carrying Deadpool's head and shoulders, and uh, I'm not talking about the dandruff shampoo. Conan turns to Bobby and once again tells him that he's got the blood of the Frost Giants running through his veins, and uh, he ought to fight like that. And so Bobby decides to remain and fight the Goop Dragons all by his lonesome. And what follows is a page of Bobby absolutely unleashing his frozen fury on the poor symbiotes while the rest of our heroes scurry away. Later on, back at the Hellfire Club, our heroes, Sans Iceman, share a drink. It's worth noting that Deadpool has pulled himself back together... But, since his uniform was destroyed, he's forced to wear something that he found lying around the mansion. It's one of Emma Frost's old outfits, because of course it is. Nightflyer asks if they've earned their pay. Bishop gives, you know, eh, he gives a casual thumbs up, and he allows them to each take a bag of cash for their troubles. Conan refuses any kind of monetary compensation, because he wasn't in this for the money. He just wanted to speak to Logan after this was all said and done. And, as luck would have it, here he is. I mean, is there a comic without him in it? I, I guess probably not. Conan tells Logan, as a courtesy, that he's decided to make the Hellfire Club his new home. He knows that it used to be a mutant-controlled place, but no more. Now he is its king. 
which I don't take to mean that he considers himself a king of the Hellfire Club, uh, just that uh, this is his house now, so you know, keep out. Logan laughs and tells him that, hey, if Conan's king, well, you got a few queens to worry about. He says he'll pass the word along and wishes Conan well. He then leaves to join Iceman on the battlefield, and we close out with Conan having himself a drink and telling Wolverine that he's welcome to join him once the crisis passes. And I believe this would probably take us into King in Black number four, but uh, that's not where we're going. Uh, next episode, we're diving back into the vault with uh, X-Men number 19. And as mentioned at the start of the show, if my DCBS order doesn't show up in the next day or so, that will be the final episode of X-Lapsed, at least for now. So let's talk about this one. Um, This was a fun issue, a really fun issue. Um, I'm really digging this uh, Conan team-up concept here in Savage Avengers. It's the first time I've ever given half a damn about Conan, and I think this is a book that I'm going to continue uh, to uh, to pick up every month uh, on my own time. I, I don't think we'll be put doing it on the show unless unless maybe there's a you know really big Wolverine appearance in one of them. Or I think I heard somewhere that maybe magic shows up a time or two. So we'll play it by ear and we'll do it on a case by case basis. But I, I really enjoyed this here. Uh, Jerry Duggan. I just don't think he can go wrong with uh, with anything with his name attached to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. It's gonna be a quality book and. Uh, Kev Walk is uh, is also uh, really really nice to look at. So this is just a really well done uh, package of a book here. Really really digging it. But uh, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the king and blackiness of it here. Um, I I was hoping for a little bit of a resolution. Um, the cover showed us that uh, I mean the cover didn't lie to us. Uh, but I looked at it as okay this is where the storm and Cyclops fight was going to happen. And sure, we got that, but it uh, it didn't really go anywhere. You know, it just uh, the heroes had to back off and uh, you know reconnoiter and then give it a running start and try again. And I get that you're you know you're you're trying to sell the the main event book, you know, the King in Black uh, series uh, on its own. But I don't know. I was hopeful that we were going to see some some sort of a resolution here, something where Cyclops and or Storm get knocked back to their senses and. Uh, and, you know, just uh, pick up and move back to uh, Krakoa here. I mean, we saw in the sword book um, that Kid Cable was uh, denullified. And uh, maybe it's just that uh, the uh, movers and shakers at Marvel right now don't really care too much about Cable. I, I really couldn't say. Then again, I'm I'm not sure you can convince me that they, they care about Cyclops or Storm these days either. But uh, who knows? I guess I guess they do. I guess they at least care about them more than Kid Cable so that they could have this uh, this storyline actually play out in the main book. As for everything else, it was it was all good. It was all fun. Um, not really sure how I feel about uh, Deadpool being Wile E. Coyote. Um, I've tr- I'm trying to get back into Deadpool. It's just uh, there are only so many hours in the day. And I, I do have the entire uh, Thompson run right now, so I think I've read like the first three Three and uh, it's only up to number ten. For some reason, it only it only seems to ship like every third or fourth month. I don't know if that's uh, if that's intentional or if it's I don't know just some sort of a residual um, hiatus sort of lapses there. I couldn't say, but in that book, it doesn't seem like he's this much of a cartoon character. And also in past Deadpool stories that I've read, I've 
I think the last Deadpool stories that I did read were Jerry Duggan's back at uh, Marvel Now, but I stopped not because of Duggan, but because it got way, way, way too bogged down in S.H.I.E.L.D. crap, and I hate, hate S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. is boring. That's why S.H.I.E.L.D. can't maintain its own uh, its own ongoing. It, uh, it can't make it very long without being canceled, and yet, for a time there, Marvel was just shoehorning them into everything because they had a TV show, so... Uh, but I stopped reading Deadpool because of all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. So in the interim between, what, 2013, 2014, and today, I don't know if he's turned into a cartoon character or not. Like, a literal Wile E. Coyote, you know, Acme, uh, Acme torpedoes blowing up in his face sort of a character. I'm not sure I totally care for it. <laughs> I don't know how I... Uh, I really don't know how I feel. It, it's... I mean, they're cute scenes, right? Uh, seeing him get fried by lightning and thrown off a building. I mean, it's it's fun, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's not, not really my cup of tea. But uh, overall, I mean, this is a fun book. This is definitely worth your time if you are uh, looking to uh, broaden your horizons from the X-Books like, like I kind of sort of am. This is a good place to go, and... Uh, like I said, I believe last episode, um, I was worried about this book for a couple of reasons. The first being that it's yet another Avengers title, and the other reason is that I don't care about Conan. And it turns out that it's not really an Avengers title, so that's good. And uh, Conan in this context is a lot more fun than I find him in the sword and sorcery, Hyborian era sort of uh, milieu, right? But a fun book. Definitely uh, worth checking out if you are interested. But... Uh, That'll do it for my thoughts on the book, but before we go, we got a couple of letters to attend to in the mailbag here. We're going to start with Jesse, who's talking about Cable number 9. He says, After Hellions, Cable is my favorite book in this line. I'm sad to see it go. The writing and art is so masterfully done that when it comes to info pages, I have no complaints. We learn something interesting in these, and it's not just some ego dump from the writers on their philosophical opinions of life, or being, or even some boring novel that I 100% pass up. Other than the thought of, oh, it's Kid Cable, no thanks, I can't fathom why anyone would ignore this title. And I, I think you hit it on the head there. I think that is why this book was kind of doomed to fail from the start. Um, first, it's Cable, right? Cable kind of has that... Uh, Cable seems to have missed the uh, the 90s um, nostalgia grab of, like, the Venoms and the Carnages and the Deadpools. Cable's just kind of like the other guy. The guy that we all still say, yeah, we never liked him in the first place. And, uh, I mean, even back in the 90s when he was given his own title, it was just like, why? Why? And how, what can you do with Cable? And it wasn't until uh, Joe Casey came and kind of grounded Cable that it was like, okay, this actually has a reason to exist now. So Cable, I think he still has kind of a stink on him. And to compound that, it's Kid Cable. And we see Kid Cable with his, you know, sort of kind of douchey smirk on the first cover, uh, Cable number one. And I could definitely see people seeing that and be like, nah, don't need this. I certainly don't need this in my life. Especially, you know, if they came into Cable from the his stint in Fallen Angels, I mean, that certainly didn't inspire a whole lot of confidence, did it? It's like, it's going to be more of that. And I remember reading the solicits for the uh, first few issues of Cable before it came out, and they were talking about missing kids, you know, missing babies. And I thought it was a continuation of the uh, Fallen Angels story, 
which only made me not want to read it even more. Because, uh, I mean, Fallen Angels, for folks who haven't listened to those episodes or read those books, um, it was about, you know, chasing down kids, kids that were missing, kids that were taken into this uh, weird cyber drug world. It, it's it's not very good. But uh, I thought that this was going to be a continuation of that, and I certainly did not care for it. But, I mean, just like the book we discussed today, Savage Avengers, this is a Jerry Duggan book, and it's really Really, really good. It's better than it's better than it has any right to be. And uh, Phil Noto on the art. I mean, forget about it. This is just. It deserves better. It definitely deserves better. Cable is not a half-assed book. It's, it's just really, really. It's top quality stuff there. So unfortunately, people who passed it up because it's cable, it's kid cable. I mean, that's definitely not a good thing. Also, it's it was kind of a victim of X of Tens, right? The Festival of Swords kind of got in the way of Cable's ongoing story. We had to kind of sway from the missing kids to get him the sword. You know, we needed to deal with the Space Knights and get him to the get him the Light of Galador or whatever it is. Then we have to have him start up the uh, the Sword Satellite. It's a lot of roadblocks. It feels like it was kind of doomed to fail, unfortunately. Now Jesse continues. I don't see how Patch is still a mystery. In Black Cat, no one knew who Patch was, but in Wolverine, everyone knew who Patch is. This has got to be like asking someone in our actual world in reality who Batman is. Once in a while, you'll get an I don't know, but most of the time you'll get a Bruce Wayne. There's no way that someone with luck powers like Felicia would only find people who don't know who Patch is. In Cable Number 9, it's even more unlikely, especially after the auction. Yeah, the auction, how about that? It must have spread like wildfire who Patch was. It's got to be just a side joke, or Logan has some nostalgic attachment to, the, to, to such a see-throughable disguise. And this is funny, because I, I mentioned this when we uh, were headed to the auction. That, like, it's like, how come nobody is, like, uh, giving him side-eye here? And uh, people have brought up to me that, you know, there were people who were looking at him funny. Like, Kingpin was like, okay, I know who this guy is here. And uh, it went back to the old Claremont joke that uh, everyone knows who Patch is, but nobody wants to mess with Wolverine. So they kind of just let him pretend that he is uh, incognito. To which, I mean, that's a, that's a great theory, but every time, his, uh, every time his identity is revealed or his cover is blown, he's attacked. So it's like, if these guys were trying to stay away from him, then why do they attack him as soon as they get confirmation that it's Wolverine? Very, very bizarre. Um, I think the patch thing is just something that uh, we're not supposed to think about quite as much. Uh, It's just a funny little side thing, and um, that's all it's going to be. And we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing Logan in the patch togs like almost more than we're seeing him in any other clothes right now. Seems like... uh, Boy, we see him in Cable. He's been Patch. He's been ca- Patch in his own book. He's been Patch in Black Cat. He might have been Patch in Marauders. I mean, he's he's patching it up. It's, <laughs> it's silly, silly stuff. Jesse continues, There are just some things in this era that the creators love. So here's my top five list. So Jesse has number five as the Cyclops Gene Wolverine thing. Yeah, the, our creators love that. Number four is Patch and Madripoor. Yeah, everybody in Madripoor. Um, three, more info pages. Yeah. Uh, two, Otherworld. Yes, yes. Two, Otherworld is a... 
we're still dealing with Otherworld, and one, drinking until you pass out, even if it's completely out of character, and if you go off the sliding Marvel timescale of one of their years equals five of ours, a lot of these mutants are still too young to drink. But who knows, maybe on Krakoa, 15-year-olds are allowed to get sloshed. And it's, it's so funny that you sent this list, because this is one of those things that... I mentioned this in uh, Generation X Lapsed, uh, the episode 9, uh, for folks who are time-traveling at the moment. I mentioned something that I noticed in there that made it impossible not to notice it. And in Generation X Lapsed, which I, I'm, I'm assuming not very many people listen to, it's kind of the X Lapsed loss leader, <laughs> the uh, Sunday specials. People don't really care for them quite as much, but they give, it gives me a little bit of a break from the, the you know, day-to-day. But in Generation X, um, it seems as though all the characters are part of like a high school play where they all just stand around and then when one of them has to deliver a line, they step forward, they deliver their line, and then they fade back into the background. And then someone else will step forward like to their mark on the stage and then they'll deliver their line and then they'll step back into the mob. And ever since I noticed that, it's like it's all I can notice. You know, and so seeing a list of uh, you know our creators, some of some of their favorite things of this era, the things that they use the most, like when you see it, it's now one of those things that you're not going to be able to not notice, right? The the love triangle, Cyclops, Wolverine, and Jean. That's just it's always there. Madripoor is always there. Otherworld's always there. Infopage is always there, and I'll give them credit. The drinking has slowed down since X of Tens. Uh, we've got Sage right now who's drinking, but I, I believe when we discussed uh, the most recent issue of X-Force, I, I kind of was okay with it, seeing as though she's got like the brain of a computer. I mean, I think uh, if you drink to slow that down, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but it does make sense to me that she would... Um, Self-medicate in that sort of way here So credit where it's due The drinking has slowed down Because, boy, those the first, like, Dawn of X arc Was just so full of people getting sloshed It's just not not a good look, in my opinion uh, Maybe folks disagree, I don't know uh, Jesse continues It's good to see Hope and Cable hanging out If things are going in the direction of young Cable sacrificing himself So that old Cable could be resurrected I'll actually miss the young one I didn't think I would ever say that, but Duggan and Noto got me to like this guy, and uh, I guess Emma will get her wish, and Esme will get her heart broken. Yeah, I mean, like I said during that episode there, uh, I compared it to the New 52 Superman, who I never liked until they were about to take him away. <laughs> I felt like he earned he earned his T-shirt, you know, at the end of the uh, at the end of the New 52 run there, and uh, having him gone kind of felt wrong. And so Young Cable here, I mean, I don't know how they're going to work it, if they're going to work it. I mean, we talked about several ways this might go. I don't know if they'll be able to do something with it like they did with the uh, time-displaced original five after extermination. Like, will they have one cable that has the memories of all the cables, right? Does Old Man Cable right now already have the memories of Young Cable, considering he was at one time Young Cable? I really don't know, and I guess uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. Now Jesse wraps up with, I've rambled on long enough, so until forget-me-not... And for folks unaware, um, Google forget-me-not uh, on the Marvel Wiki. Uh, it's a very fun character, a very fun concept, and uh, 
one that uh, might actually be on Krakoa somewhere right now, and uh, we, we've just all forgotten. So it's a really, really cool callback there from Jesse. Thank you so much for writing in about this very special book that we are just about to lose. Uh, next up, Evan writing in about Wolverine number eight, another patch episode here. He says, Don't worry, Honey Badger's third cousin's clone debuted in that Green Lagoon splash page back in X Force number seven. But she's already been unmutanted and is dating Franklin Richards prior to becoming a host for the Phoenix Force and debuting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe during a post credits scene in the making of the Moon Knight documentary. Or so I've heard. Well, that answers a lot of questions there. We know if, uh, if she's been unmutanted, then uh, she can't be resurrected. So uh, that answers that. Thank you so much for letting us know that, Evan. A couple more asides. Uh, Evan appreciated me calling the huge gridded page the nine-panel grids overachieving sibling, so thank you for that. And he went on to say that I probably got two copies of this Wolverine issue here because of the cover, <sighs> because two hands are better than one. <clears throat> Hmm, okay. <laughs> Evan continues. As for the issue, eh, I remember when Maverick had a personality. Then again, I only started buying that series because he looked so cool and mysterious on the trading cards. So perhaps this will introduce him to a whole new generation of fans. And yeah, Maverick has a very cool look. I remember really being psyched when I got the, uh, well, first when they announced that there was going to be a Maverick action figure. I mean, it felt like everybody got an action figure back then. And uh, when I actually got the action figure, it's a re- it's not a good one. It's a bad action figure, but it looks cool because it's Maverick, and Maverick just looks cool. And uh, he he did look cool on all the trading cards, and he looked cool in the initial uh, story that introduced him with uh, with the Omega Red uh, introduction back in X Men Volume Two. I think Maverick probably showed up in boy either either four, five, or six, one of those. And then he even went on to get his own uh, backup strip. In uh, probably 9 or 10 I think it was when the X-Men were in Mojo World With Longshot and Dazzler That um, Maverick got his own his own little uh, short backup strip They were really, uh, really invested in pushing him And then just really didn't work out quite as well He would show up in Wolverine on occasion Then he would get his very short-lived uh, I think he got a one-shot first and Then he got his short-lived ongoing series Which... At the time, wore the crown of the uh, shortest-running, uh, ongoing X-Men uh, series. I think it got canceled after ten issues, which was, uh, believe it or not, a record back then. Uh, nowadays, we're lucky if an ongoing series gets gets ten issues before it gets a new number one. So, this was a whole different world. But uh, yeah, Maverick was uh, Maverick here in this Wolverine story was. Um, I don't know if I'm just conflating due to uh, sort of similarities in their their look, but uh, he reminded me a lot of Grifter from over in the Wildcats. I mean, they have a very similar facial uh, mask structure, only one's cloth, one's metal, but he felt very much like uh, our friend Cole Cash over in Wildcats. I, I, and I didn't remember Maverick being quite that uh, like sardonic and just... It just felt weird to me. Then again... I mean, it's been a long time since I've read Maverick, so for all I know, this is exactly how he is supposed to be. But uh, thank you so much for writing in about the the giant-size anniversary issue of Wolverine there. Issue 350, thanks to Voodoo Math. But uh, thank you so, so much. 
Now, if anybody out there would like to write in and be part of the show, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. You can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Ace Comics. You can send me a message on Instagram. I'm at 90sXmen. Or you can just shoot me an old-fashioned email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our group is 90sXmen. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that is available anywhere you find noise and sound on the Internet. And uh, if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to tell a friend or two. That would really, really mean a lot to me. Anyway, that's where I'm going to leave it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing some time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>